0: And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me tonight, I have Brent Scarpo, who is actually the former casting director and associate for Shawshank Redemption. Say hello to everyone, uh, Brent. Hello. And I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. This means so much to me and my channel and all my other followers. I've been looking for this all week. And in case anybody's wondering why my voice is going out, it's because of the fact I'm also excited because Brent's here. But it's also because of the fact that I had a little bit of an issue with laryngitis. So if you notice that I'm hoarse a little bit, please forgive me on that. But welcome to the show, Brent. I do appreciate this. Like I said before. Oh, my pleasure.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll talk for you. I don't, I don't lack that ability. So
0: um, awesome. you know,
1: I, I, I've been very excited about this. And you and I have been planning it. And it's my pleasure. It's my joy. There's nothing I love more than movies. And I love being able to talk about them and learn
0: from them. Same here as well. And speaking of movies, I know that you were part of Shawshank Redemption. You were also the casting associate for Shawshank Redemption. We teased mm-hmm. that a little bit as well. But how many years did you start doing movies and stuff like that? What got you into the movie business and stuff like that? Yeah, it's you, great say, you know, what, like right? yeah.
1: Like how do you, how do you find your passion, right? Right. I uh so it's a pleasure so to all your listeners. What a joy. What a pleasure. I, um, originally from Warren, Pennsylvania. So I was, um, born in California, but fortunately my parents were divorced. So we went to this small little town, probably no, uh, different than the one you're in in Mississippi. And, um, I just, since I was seven, I've had a passion for the industry. I mean, I was a TV Um, I love movies, you know, in my hometown, um, how funny I didn't think we were going to talk about this so in my hometown we have this old 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 theater that was built in the late 1800s it's the Warren Library Theater and you may or may not know this but a lot of the um, a lot of the theaters on the east coast when they were built in this is the same with our theater um, and it's just it's this grand beautiful majestic theater right and so that's where we used to have our movies you know uh, I mean it was like I'm dating myself, but it was 50 cents to go when you, uh, behind the movie or behind the, um, theater was a railroad track. So in the late 1800s, all the major theaters in the country were built right in front of a railroad track. Because what happened is vaudeville would take the train and they would take the train. They would back up behind the theater in that town they would open up the cart all the props and the actors and the costumes they would do their show and do their run put it back in the train and the train would go off again so that was one of that was our theater so i loved it and then I've always wanted to be an actor. I studied at Mercerius University and got a degree in English Literature, Communication, and then my passion was to move to California, which I did in the '80s, and studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Had some success. I was about ten years, you know, I was doing the movies and the extras and the commercials and the cruise ships and the you know all that stuff. And then, um, you know, you, you got to make a living. And a good friend of mine was a casting uh, director. She did a lot of background and under five uh, casting. And she would put me into different, you know, bits and parts and auditions. And finally she got, uh, this was in 19, probably 93, if memory serves me correctly. And um, she called me saying that she had gotten a movie, um, but the studios wouldn't let her sign a contract unless she had an assistant and her assistant quit. And so three times she asked me, and three times I said no. Or twice I said no. And the third time I was like, what are these movies? And she said, well, one's called Ed Wood with Johnny Depp. And I was a big fan of Johnny
0: Depp. I love that film. Yes,
1: great film. Great, great film. If you haven't seen a movie, lovers unite. Go see it. And the other one's called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And I said, that's the stupidest title I've ever heard in my entire life. What's that about? And she told me it was based on a Stephen King novella. Uh, that Stand by Me had already been done as one of the four seasons, and uh, I said, well, "What are you thinking of doing?" She said, "Well, I think I'm doing. I like to do this um, Shawshank because it's going to be in Mansfield, Ohio, and you get paid more, you know, when you when you go out of uh, a state." Whereas they were shooting um, Johnny Depp's film at uh, Wood in California, and then you know, we, had, she and I had many conversations, and I said, "Well, how much would I get paid for this?" Right? She tells me, I was like you should have started the conversation with that. I was like, what? Are you (laughs) kidding me? I was like, how much am I getting paid? You know? And so I ended up being her associate. We moved to Mansfield, Ohio. And, um, you know, as we talked earlier, I'm a life coach now and I marry my two passions together, which is education and life coaching with um, movies or the entertainment industry. But that was full on. It was the first time I'd really been behind the camera. And so Deborah Aquila was the main casting director. She had you know, cast the, the, the main leads. And then uh, my friend and I, we did all the under five because we didn't, you know, Frank Darabont was the director and he didn't really get that much money. And uh, as I shared with you in our pre-call, you know, he never directed a film before. And, uh, the you know, the rumor has it that, you know, he had three separate meetings where they offered him an insane, insane amount of money not to direct because he wrote it. Wow, and wow. so... Um, he said no, which is just chutzpah on his highest level because you don't you usually don't say those kinds of things, but he stood by his ground, bless him, and um, he they finally called and said, okay, damn it, you can direct, but you're only getting twenty five million dollars, and you have to get an A list star to play the part of Andy Dufresne. Ooh, Ooh. and, I
0: know, and that, I know that there was. Um, there was um, I hear a I little, little, little. That echo, that echo. Hold on. Hold on. I, know, I, I can still I hear can still the hear echo, echo for a minute. Um, try lowering your volume just a tiny bit. Okay. I don't I hear see. it, but... I think it might be on my end. Let me take a look. Hello? Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, sorry about that. But, uh, you know, I know that there was some issues with that, not with the character, but with the actor that you guys signed on issues
1: is is that how you call it we we called it more than that back then well (laughs) yeah so the way this works typically is you know for those of you who go to movies there's so much behind the scenes it's insane right and so you know we we it's 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 um it's the movie business, right? Lest we forget it's a business. So you have what is the creative people, and they're the ones that are the actors and actresses and so on and so forth. And then there's the business part of it, and those are the money people. You know, um, we typically call them the suits, right? And they're not that creative, most of them, but some are. And then the creative people, maybe not. Don't understand budgets and money. That's why when you hear films going over budget by fifty million dollars, well, that's because the director is not a producer. You know, um, when you get those directors like Ron Shelton, who I worked with, he's producer, writer, and director, and he gets it. So um, they said, "Here's twenty-five million, and you're not getting it unless you get an A-list star for the part of Andy Dufresne." So you know, in the world of casting, you've got your A, B, C, and you know, down, and A is obviously your top. Person, So we get it. Deborah Quilla, you know, cast it. Um, I believe Morgan Freeman was cast first, but he's, you know, he, I'm not saying that he wasn't the star, but the Andy Dufresne is the main character, obviously. Right. So we get our main guy, we get our $25 million. And about six weeks before, principal photography around the time I had flown to Mansfield, Ohio to begin that whole casting process of the guards and the prisoners and the people that had, you know, three, four, five, six lines, our guy quit. And this particular actor who, you know, initially got the part of Andy Dufresne in his contract, it basically says he can change any scene or any line he wants without permission. And so when he was going over the uh, script, he said to Frank, I'd like to have these scenes cut out. Um, and the scenes that he wanted to cut out were all the rape scenes that happened in prison. And there was a lot of discussion, and Frank said no. And this actor said, well, okay, I'm going to go now. And so the question for your audience is who was supposed to play the part of Andy Dufresne and quit six weeks before we were supposed to start principal photography?
0: Who was it? I'm, I'm really interested.
1: Right? So... A-list actors, we're talking 1993 or so, um, it was Tom Cruise. And as, wow, shocked as people are right now uh, listening to this, whether it's live or whether it's in uh, in the recorded version, yeah, Tom Cruise is supposed to be in that. And um, it just kind of shows you the creative process and how fabulous it is because, in my personal opinion, we you and I wouldn't be talking. We would not be talking if he kept that role. I don't think we would have been nominated for Oscars. No, No, nothing against Tom Cruise per se, but it just, um, I don't think that was a good fit. And that was money talking and not acting in my personal opinion. So we go back to the drawing board and the next person that was available was uh, Tim Robbins, who is perfect. He's every guy.
0: I definitely agree with you on that. Also too, here's the thing. Back in the 90s, we had hit movie stars and stuff like that. The big name celebrities and everything. Not saying that celebrities don't uh, sell tickets anymore or anything like that, but actors aren't, we don't have those go to actors like we did back in the 90s, so to speak. So, you know, you see a big name like Tom Cruise on the billboard. Of course, people are going to go ahead and check him out because it's in the 90s. Right. And, you know, I think that having. Tim Robbins as Andy is perfect, and plus, cutting out those rape scenes wouldn't have gave those layers to 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 Andy. To be honest with you,
1: to- Yeah, I agree. It's um, you know, I, I'm forgetting his name for some re- reason. because we we hung out, the gentleman that played the main character in that, he's a great actor. Um, it uh, you know, look, it's part of prison life. You know, this is a. a, a um, a period piece from the 1940s to the 1970s. I've actually worked in a real prison. I've done life coaching in a real prison. So I've taken literally my entertainment life and my, my educational life and and mushed them together. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think it's, you know, and, and we, he was said, you know, he was told that it was going to be done respectfully, but that's just, that's not Tom Cruise. He doesn't do those kinds of scenes. It just, just, just doesn't happen. He's a box office draw. And that's what you're referring to, to the nineties. Like, right. well, who's a box office draw right now. It's so freaky because there's so many different venues that, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. I'll go on IMBD and I'll look at an actor's credits. I I don't even know half the stuff they were in. I'll look at it like, what, it, how did right. I miss? Where was this? But you know, it's changed. I mean, between the, you know, when you have Netflix winning Oscars, you know, and, and Emmys and things like that, that the world has changed since, you know, since. Uh,
0: Definitely, especially in the yeah. world of the streaming services and stuff like that. Right. And now totally. the rules have changed for Oscars now in order for Netflix to get nominated. It has to be played in a theater for so many days. Then it can right. get nominated. That's so exactly that right. That little back door. Yeah, well, I,
1: I shared with you earlier that I had a documentary, and we had submitted it to for the Oscars, and we got really close to being nominated. But, yeah, I had to find a theater that would be willing to show it for X amount of days in order for them to consider it.
0: Right, and Crichton Films has a question. Okay. He goes, he goes, I would like to know, what was your first reaction seeing Shawshank Redemption on VHS at Blockbuster?
1: Oh, how funny. I. You know it's so funny? I don't know if I ever... <laughs> So, I, uh, Crichton, um, we may know what your age is because you said the word blockbuster. <laughs> so it's like you're probably around. Um, it's funny. I, I actually applied for a job in my early 20s when I moved to California for blockbuster. Um, you know, I think this was 93. And so I got to go... Um, I didn't go to the – I wasn't able to go to the Oscars or anything like that, but there was a bunch of us in the crew that we rented out this restaurant and had the most amazing time when the Oscars got on there. But, um, you know, we're sent all these copies of all these different um, films and such, so I didn't have to go there. But what's really interesting is where – to answer your question is, you know, I would go into – like recently like I'll go into a Walmart or I'll go somewhere where I'll see it, you know, cause I mean, right now everything's streamed. Um, and I'll see copies of it and it's kind of like, Oh, and I'll pick it up or I'll see the Spanish version. And that's really weird. Um, but it's, uh, I think the moment for me was, you know, my mom's no longer with us unfortunately, but I remember when it came out and I, again, I'd never been, I'd never been in front of the, uh, in back of the camera before. And we had on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, there is this amazing theater. It's been there since God knows, but it's in, it's it's in the round. It's like a dome. I think they call it the dome. Um, I think it's called the Citron or something like that. And so I, it was showing there. So we went, and it's almost kind of like the IMAX theaters now. And I remember my mom and my sister, and my brother, and I. We went, and it was phenomenal. And I just remember like watching it. And even though I had been there, like I had been on the set for almost every scene. I when I got done watching it, and this is the process of editing, I was like, I don't remember the film. You know, I was like, and my mother just she had tears in her eyes, and she leaned over in her seat and she looked at me and she was like, "You worked on this?" I was like, "I did." And then my credit came up, and you know, it's just like I said, but I don't remember. Like this is that's what they call the the magic of Hollywood.
0: Yeah, that is definitely the magic of Hollywood and stuff like that. And I bet it was one of those things of the tantalization of the fact, hey. I'm doing this. I'm creating film. Yeah. I'm doing something that I never knew that I could do before or possibly do. Well, and I think also
1: too, um, when you're behind the camera, whether it's electrician grip construction, whatever, you're there from the beginning to the very end. Whereas an actor might have, you know, a few days or the whole run or a week and then they're gone. You know, they don't see that entire process.
0: Exactly. And also, too, Beth from Made for TV podcast has a question, too. Okay, And she goes, hey, John and Brett, it's Beth. Brent, did you know you had an Oscar winner on your hands and how early did you know that you had that feeling?
1: That's a good that is such a great question. I can't even begin to applaud how great that question is, to be honest with you. Um, We didn't know what we had. We 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 really like I've listened to gosh, interviews with Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, Frank Darabont. I mean, various people. Uh, I'm still friends with a uh, a lot of the crew. And I can tell you this. I remember getting there and a vast majority of us, it was kind of like, our first time, um, like there were some first time electricians and first time construction, first time, you know, uh, makeup person or whatever. I mean, there were some old hats, obviously, but we were just doing a job, you know, and, you know, you read the script and it's like, okay, yeah, this is a really good script. And, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, based on a book. Um, And even, you know, I think, even through that process. And I think the other part of that too, is that you're so busy. Like the part that I, that blew my mind from being an actor to doing this, we work six day work weeks, Monday through Saturday. Our minimum, minimum day was 12 hours. My maximum day was 21 hours. And then you go to bed and you get three, four hours sleep. And then you have a call time and you start all over again. We only had Sundays off. That's it. And we partied hard. I mean, there were, you know, you get together and we were in a Mansfield. So you would either go to Cleveland or Columbus because you didn't want to stay in Mansfield because you were working there the whole time. But it was, it was, it was one of the most exhausting, most overwhelming, and cathartic and joyful experiences of my life. I would say to you, if there was a moment where I kind of went, hmm, um, I would say, I'm going through this now in my brain. I think it was the roof scene because I went to that and that was just so amazing, you know, just as, and we were on top of the roof of the old, you know, um, uh, reformatory and with the real tar. And I remember it was hot as kaboot, and we were sweating and, you know, I want to watch these actors act cause I wasn't doing it. So there's a bit of a jealousy there as well. Um, but I think that was a moment where I went, "Hmm, this is this this is." But Oscar, not even close, not even close.
0: And I wanted to just say this, you know, I still feel like Forrest Gump is overrated as a as a movie.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you said and, it, not me. <laughs> and here's the
0: thing: I love Forrest Gump. And even one of my friends asked me this the other night. Whenever uh, she she watched Shawshank Redemption for the first time <clears throat> the other night, and she was like. What do you like? Do you like Forrest Gump or do you like Shawshank Redemption? I said I like Forrest Gump. It's a great film for its time. But Forrest Gump is overrated as a film, and I'm not afraid to admit that. And here's the thing. I feel like Shawshank Redemption should have won that year over Forrest Gump. And it's also an underrated film during that time, and only got popular because of the cult following afterwards. Everybody's right. like, "Oh, what's this Shawshank Redemption that we heard about that got Oscar nominations? I want to check that out." And I'm like, yeah. "Where were you guys after, before the fact of this? Especially as Steve, yeah, it's
1: it's um Morgan tells the story all the time. You know, he said the the worst part of of the Shawshank Redemption experience was the name, right? Like no, like that, like I mean. <laughs> It's a seeming king novella. It's called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank. That was the original title Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. So then they're like, I know PR got together and like, yeah, we can't call it that. No one's going to, no one will see this film. And so it got down to Shawshank Redemption. And, but what is that? You know, now Forrest Gump, that's the person's name. Now I saw Forrest Gump. Um, I've worked with Tom Hanks on a movie called That Thing You Do. Um, here's what, here's, I know why. Shawshank works, right? Um, And I think because of the cult following, because it got nominated for Oscars and most people were like, wow, how did this thing called Shawshank Redemption get nominated for an Oscar and I didn't see it? So there was this natural curiosity to go see something that like got seven nominations, right? It's like, what, what, what? How did I miss that? So then they saw it and that's when the cult, that's when it spread like wildfire. So there's a great quote. I use it in my life coaching. It's phenomenal. So on the 10-year anniversary, Frank sent um, posters uh, to everybody. And um, I have the old poster. And then there's this new poster. And I had it side by side. So I looked at the old poster. Even though I've had this thing up for years, I never really read the caption. Right? And so I'm looking, Childish Redemption. You know, he's coming out. Like the thing that you had at the very beginning. And... um, I look at this caption and I'm like, oh my God, that's why this film is so popular, right? So the caption of Shashik Redemption on the poster is this, fear will keep you prisoner, hope will set you free. And if you look at the last 15 to 20 years, and especially in the last eight, you know, our world is in the midst of a lot of fear. And I say to you, the reason why it's more popular and has sustained itself longer than say Forrest Gump is because Tim Robbins represents every human being on the planet that has been victimized that has been hurt that has been stomped on that has not been heard that's why the Tom Cruise casting would not have worked you would have walked out of that film going oh my god Tom Cruise made such a great you know he did such a great job whereas when you when i walked out of the film i think a lot of us you didn't say, oh, some of you said, well, who's that actor that played Andy Dufresne? Oh, that's Tim Robbins, right? But no, you were, like, you were talking about Andy Dufresne and what happened to him. And all of us, right, as far as that character concerned, I think had more of a connection in terms of life experience than the part of
0: um, Forrest Gump. Well, the thing I like about Andy Dufresne and also Tim Robbins, he brought a level of innocence about him. You can see the level right. of innocence on his face when he gets into the prison, even in the courtroom. But Tom Cruise, it'd have been like too cool for school kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have that, he can't play that innocent vibe of anything. Even whenever he played the douchebag brother and where he had, where the brother had autism and stuff like that, he could not, to me, he played the caring brother like towards the end, but. Seeing that played out in Tim Robinson's character with Andy Dufresne, he just doesn't have that uniqueness about him where he can play off something innocent and stuff like that, in my opinion. Yeah, Tom, Tom,
1: he cannot play every man, right? Yeah. We can't identify uh, with that. Um, whereas, you know, Tim Robinson, you could, you right. know, he, he, he was that, he was that, um, you know, he, he was a banker for God's sake you know he, he didn't have a he didn't even have a celebrity look per se whereas you know Tom Cruise has a very celebrity uh, right. uh, look and following. so it's just it, it, the creative process that always works well.
0: Definitely. And you know I like how you use the quote of the fact that you know either you get busy dying or you can get busy living. I liked how you used that for your life coaching and stuff like that. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I know that we teased another thing, though, where you had a lot of freaky stuff happening on the set as well where paranormal stuff was happening.
1: Well, the the whole experience, you know, it's funny because I think, well, not because of this, but uh, just this whole, you know, I think it was two years ago they celebrated the 25th anniversary and um, everyone gathered together in Mansfield yet again, and it's um, the the whole experience was just so unique. It's it's like one of my top ten life experiences. Um, so, you know. The the shooting was in Mansfield. That reformatory has been there since the 1800s. Um, every scene was shot at the reformatory except for the interior shots of the prison. We actually built a prison in a parking lot four stories high um, with prison cells and so on and so forth. But all those other shots were all part of, you know, the, the part of Ohio and the reformatory. So, but the interior, that was all, that was all, we made that. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when I went to the old reformatory and I mean that there's, you know, I'm actually writing a book about my experience um, with this just because it just seems to be the right thing to do right now. Um, And so I'm compiling the life coaching part, but also some of these great stories. So yeah, the, uh, the assistant to Frank Darabont, we used to, I mean, you used to get, you know, get a little drunk and go to the set at three in the morning. Why? Because we were going to be there in three hours. And sometimes we would, we literally like, we, we would wrap at one and then we had to be there at six. And it was like, why am I leaving? Like, I'll just lay here on the floor. <laughs> you will not got a deal. Um, but yeah, this one, Frank says this and he loved photography. And so we, we used to hang out together and we go on to this crazy, uh, uh, you know, reformatory. And it was, They've, they've torn a lot of it down now they've got the main house which is still there but it was acres and it was phenomenal and so he loved to take pictures and there was this sort of grassy area um near this walk uh and so we he took a bunch of pictures and then he developed them over the next week and then he called me He's like oh my god you've got to come into my office I'm like what's going on those pictures we took and so we took the pictures and There's me just doing my thing. And then there's these, you know, asper, uh, what do I want to say? Ghosts uh, uh, next to me. So there'd be like, there was like two distinct people to my left and one person to my right. Like you could make out faces. And the stories are just incredible. I mean, prison life is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I've worked in a prison. I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. You know, I remember... I was, uh, on my Sundays, I usually got a massage really early in the morning. There's a woman that lived down the street, and she she was phenomenal. I, I never got massages before, and I that was the first thing I did. Eight o'clock, I said, just book me every Sunday until I'm done here after four months. So we we, we talked about it. I remember halfway through my massages, she said, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my father was a guard at the old reformatory. I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah. And I said, Wow. And she yeah, she's like, he never, ever talked about work, ever. You know, this is probably in the early, this would probably, I mean, for father, probably like the 1930s, 1940s or something like that. She said, I just remember one time as a little girl, he came home from work and he sat down at the table and he was really upset. And um, remember the scene where it's in the cafeteria and, um, They talk about uh, Andy being put in the hole and um, how long that took. And um, I think there was – well, we did a bunch of them there. But it it was just some really great – James Whitmore, that was it. He was talking about that. Well, that's the real cafeteria. And they have these huge ceilings, like 20, 20, 25 feet tall. So this woman said her dad was really upset and – you know, he talked about work. So apparently he was in charge of getting people to paint the ceiling of that cafeteria, that luncheon area. And so that was his order. Um, he was given a crew, right? They put all the scaffolding up and, and they're on the top of this, you know, deal and halfway through, I mean halfway, I think right when they started to paint all the scaffolding fell and most of those that were on the scaffolding had died. So, you know, they, deal with it uh, a couple days later they redo the scaffolding right he gets a new crew wow they paint the ceiling now the difference between the first crew and the second crew is the first crew are all black guys and the second crew is all white
0: that that is nuts though because yeah. of all those spirits that's inside that place it is it's right
1: it's so. I mean, we talk about a lot of racism, a lot of issues, you know, in the mm-hmm. 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, remember the scene? I was here for this. Remember the scene where they're trying to find some um, some soapstone so that he can they can carve right. out the just pieces. So I was there, and we had a liaison from the the new prison. The new prison was amazing. I mean, college, high school, pause. I mean, I was ready to move in, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, we could ask any questions of her. She was on the set a lot, so behind that, um, where they shot that, is one of the cemeteries, right? And there's all these little white crosses. So you know, you are just kind of sitting there, 18 hours a day. So I looked at her and I was looking at the cemeteries, and I have a fascination with cemeteries, anyways. So I said to her, "I said, hey, I, that's the cemetery." She's like, "Yeah," and I said, "So if a prisoner dies here, they they bury them here." She's like, "Yeah, this is their final resting place," and I said. Some of the crosses have numbers and some don't. And she's like, that's correct. I said, why is that? And she said, well, the crosses that have the numbers are men who passed away here and who are white. The crosses that don't have numbers
0: are every other color. Wow. That just goes to show you the racism and stuff like that they faced every single day.
1: Yeah, every day.
0: That's nuts.
1: Right, and that was that was a conscious effort. I mean, because I just it didn't make sense to me. I was like, there. I mean, there were dozens and dozens right. and dozens of crosses. I'm like,
0: why do some have numbers and some don't?
1: And but that's you know.
0: You see, I was just thinking because of the numbers on the jail cell or whatever. So, just knowing that 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 just goes to show you how backwards we were at one time, and the stuff like that, yeah. and moving into now. It's are still, we still we're, back? Yeah, yeah. we are still, back. <laughs> no, we're we're still back. Back.
1: have we grown? Have we right. grown? What no. are we? What no. are we doing? But it was just again, it was just one of those many stories where I was just like,
0: wow, wow, wow. That, that amazes me, to be honest with you. That was something yeah. I was not expecting. To be honest,
1: yeah. I know the um, few stories I didn't share with you before.
0: Right. I'm glad that you didn't share this one with me. This yeah. is great. <laughs> um, another thing I want to mention is this. I like the warden. Uh, not so much the warden, but I just like how each little thing in the Bible references the warden, especially when he's trying to size Andy up, and then when he's sizing Andy up, Andy uses the Bible verse to represent who the warden actually is. This is my house. This is who I am. If you get in my way, I'm going to mess you up. And yeah. then, and then he also Andy puts the hammer in Exodus, which means exile, which is also leaving the Pharaoh, which I thought was really interesting on how they foreshadowed that. That was really creative.
1: Lest we forget, we're talking about Stephen King here, right? Um, I will tell you this. So when Frank wrote the screenplay and then he or pardon me, prior to that, uh, this I don't know. I don't know if he wrote it first and then got permission or if he got permission. I think he got permission first uh, no, I think he wrote it first, sent it to him and said, you know, I'd like to get the rights to be able to blah, 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 blah. Right. And so uh, which I've seen this actually. So Stephen King, who lives in Maine and it takes place where in Maine, um, gave him the rights and charged him a dollar. And he signed the dollar and sent it to Frank.
0: Oh, wow. That yeah. is amazing. That yeah, reminds he, me of chairs where Ted Danson bought the bar for a dollar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's just a great story because, I mean, the, so many people have made so much money and Bob Gutton, he who played the warden, I mean, because of the residuals that they get. Um, yeah, it just, he, he did a great job. And there's so many, again, you've seen it many, many times. I've seen it hundreds of times, mm-hmm. you know, and it's why, you know, this last time I looked at, well, you know, so for example, You know, you talk about get busy living or get busy dying. You know, I looked at the film and looked at it from a life coaching perspective. And it's like every action step moves you forward without any action. You stay still. You stay stagnant. And I love that Andy refused the time he got there to let prison life define his reality. Right. He chose to create his own reality, despite what the warden says, despite the warden using God as his you know, as the, as the guide for, well, you know, there's that, then there's that whole concept of, you know, is the warden praising God or does he think he is God? And then we know what happens when people think they are God. Uh, What happened, you know? So, you know, it's, it's just, um, again, you can watch it a million times and you can find these layers.
0: Definitely. And Crane has another question too. Oh, I love it. He says, when casting, did you ever uh, have a battle of just knowing in your gut, this is the perfect actor or going with just experience?
1: Say, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find, uh, let me wait, is it on top? Oh, when casting, did you ever have a battle of just knowing in your gut, this is the perfect actor or going with just experience? Okay, Crichton, I'm going to share something that I rarely share with anybody. <laughs> so... Um, I will tell you this, this is part of, this is going to be my book. So, you know, I, I was the associate. So I had to hire all the guards and all all the prisoners. That was my thing. All 4,000 of those guys are my guys. And then we had the people that like the guy that gets, you know, bribes the warden and gives him that little pie with a little envelope in it. He's from, he's from Ohio. You know, he's making just a boatload of money, but they're, the to answer your question yes but not in the way that you think so halfway through the film we um i'm having the best time of my life and so you know there's this concept in film called continuity in fact they've got people that look at you know mistakes that are made in films and show you know well the cameras you know you saw the camera thing here you see you know all that stuff so continuity is a big deal so i remember halfway through the film and i was really serious about like these guys i found them in biker bars i found them in you know strip clubs i found them in you know places that i don't go to but i went to in order to find this roughing kind of look so You know, I spent a lot of time, you know, the big thing too is, you know, we, I had about four or 5,000 and, you know, we bring them into a huge auditorium. We can say, you're going to get paid, you know, the fur, and and the first like big hiccup was when uh, (laughs) assistant director handed us the 1947 Maine penitentiary handbook. And in 1947, at the penitentiary in Maine, every Friday, every guard and every prisoner got a haircut. And then they showed you pictures. And I went, oh my God, they've got to get a 1940 haircut. I had guys that had hair down to their butts, beards, I mean, mustaches. In, they had to be clean-shaven. They don't look like your father's father or father, depending on how old you are. So right. we had to have a meeting, and I thought, oh, my God, we're going to lose everybody. And we were starting, like, soon, and I was freaking out. So I made giant uh, uh, posters of <laughs> their haircuts, right? And I was like, hey, just letting you know, this is called a period piece. And a period piece means we might be – and so, and then I put the posters up, so we're going to give you vouchers, uh, and every Friday you have to get a haircut by one of the barbers in Mansfield. We had hired 10 of them, and I thought, it's going to be a mass exodus. It's going to be a mass exodus. We lost maybe 20 people. I was shocked. Wow. Shocked. So, when I saw the new fish, like, I couldn't even recognize anybody because people had just changed so much right and i had i remember that first couple days you know when we started shooting i would go and this is you know we didn't have cell phones so we had um uh, well we had the voice uh um the 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 recorders you know so i go to my my office and it's like you have 15 messages this is what i heard i swear to you my name is Gloria. My husband Jonathan. He's working on that Shawshank film. Listen, he's never looked so good in his life. You just keep it as long as he, he's never been so nice, so polite. I the, he, this is this is Mrs. Johnson. My son Wilbur is on that Shawshank film. Listen, I this it's just. It's a miracle. It's a, we've tried to get him his hair. I literally get dozens every day from these girlfriends and wives and fathers and mothers. Of, you know, the, I mean, talk about transformation. I was a life coach back then. Well, halfway through the film to Crichton Films' uh, uh, question, I get a call. And they said, is this Brent Scarpo?" I said, yes. Are you one of the casting people on this Shawshank Redemption film in Mansell? I said, yes. He said, you have to stop this film. I was like, I'm sorry, who am I speaking with? Like, like I've got the power to stop the film. And I, he said, I am uh, calling from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I am part, uh, I am, um, I don't know his exact title, but he was in charge of the parole for the state of Ohio. And I said, I don't understand why, why would I stop the film? He said, do you know who you've hired? I said, I've hired people. Now this is after the fact, so I kind of knew what he was talking about, but I was trying not to. I was kind of fibbing a little bit. Um, he said, "Well, um, I'm driving up there. I'll be there in two, three hours. You know, what, you, what address are you at?" And said, "Okay, fine." So I I waited. I didn't say anything. This guy in his suit and the thing and the briefcase, and he comes in, and I had the bottom floor of this office, and all the producers and directors and uh, the you know all the other, the, the hair and of their offices were above me. I had the whole bottom floor to myself. It was great. So he sits down he said, listen, um, you have a number, a number of people who are on parole working for you. I was like, okay. So he said, well, part of the parole of Ohio is that they're not allowed to be within 500 feet of a state owned facility. And, Because we were shooting at the old reformatory, which they got out of, by the way, that's owned by the state of Ohio. And I was like, are you kidding me? Right. This is the the early life coach coming at me. I said, let me just see if I got this right. You want me to fire Men who have served their time at the prison that we're shooting at and we make, they're, they're, they're citizens of your state making an honest wage because you own that reformatory? He's like, yes. I said, do you understand the, the lunacy of what you're sharing with me right now? Right? I was like, I mean, I, I, I was beside myself because I haven't said anything to anybody yet. He said, do you know who? you really have working there, right? Now there's this guy, we called him Gramps. He's probably probably passed by now. He was the loveliest guy. He was probably in his late 60s and every day he would get done shooting, he would walk to my office, he would bang on my door and I had a dog that would just, you know, bark and he'd always thank me. Just, Mr. Scarborough, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, uh, I said, Gramps, you don't have to come every day. No, 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 I, I have to thank you. The guy opens up his briefcase. He has all these files and he just lays them out on my desk and he opens them up. There's pictures, like almost like the pictures I took of them, you know, to to get into the film. And there was a picture of Gramps. He said, this guy, I was like, yeah, he raped 12 women. Is that who you want on your set? And I was like, oh yeah. So I, I just said, I got to make some phone calls. I said, so, you know, just wait right there. So that's when I called my boss, and, you know, all this stuff. So to answer his question, um, that's what incensed me. You know, that we had, I, I mean, I did ask them, you know, oh, by the way, is anybody, I said, is anybody familiar with with, with the reformer chart? Oh, yeah, I did 20 years there. Oh, I did 10. I just, I, I was like, oh, I said, so, okay, so on your cards, if you worked the washer or the, the laundry mat, write it down. If you worked the tar, so they had done these things. So, you know, it's a great question because these guys, you know, we ended up, I ended up having to fire Gramps. It was the hardest thing I, I had to do. Um, and I didn't tell them why, but we had to let go of about, I'd say twenty twenty five people just because of what they did. Um, and then we had to sit down with the director, the assistant director, my boss, see where they were. Was there any continuity issues? I mean, our biggest fear is like the guy that had been sitting in the cell next to Morgan Freeman was all of a sudden gone. It's like, you know, what do you do, escape? You know, kind of deal. So... They were lovely, they were phenomenal human beings, they were great actors, they listened. And um to Crichton Film's question, yeah, that that made me mad. I can,
0: I can imagine, imagine man. you put up work, work and effort, effort. Intent, and then you find out about that. That's really I know mad. That,
1: you know, honestly, I don't think it was the work and effort per se. It was it was just it, it was the principle. It was the principle. I'm like, are oh, you gotta be kidding me? Right? Because they're on they and, and, and again. It's state-owned property. I get that, but that's where they did their time. That's, I mean, it was just—it's again, politics and lunacy hand in hand.
0: Most definitely. So, let's go on ahead. I want to know how you go from filming, doing films like Matilda, that thing you do, Air Force One, to going into being a life coach. And I know that was yeah, a had, good question
1: um, right, because.
0: That was a mind blowing thing for me, to be honest with you. I'm like, I'm looking at your filmography, right? I'm like, how does this, how do you go from this to like, you know what? I want to be a life coach. Right. Total transformation out of left field that you don't even expect. Yeah, I think so.
1: Um, it, it, no, it's a great question. So I'm one of those people that really practices living in the present moment, right? You know, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And so, I I don't really plan a great deal. Um, You know, if I can give some life coaching lessons to people is, you know, be in the present moment uh, each and every day. And if you are, you'll be told what to do next. We're so most people are either in the future or in the past, right? If you're in the past, that's where sadness and depression usually lie. If you're in the future, that's where anxiety is, right? But if you're in the present, you don't have any of that. That's just joy. And so, you know, the short of it is this, I finished Shawshank, I opened my own casting company, I loved it, you know, I, I, I wasn't even, like, interested in acting anymore, to be honest with you, which was weird, right, but I was living in the present moment, I was like, no, this casting, this is kind of cool, right, and I love being with actors, I love being with producers and putting it together, so, you know, that thing you do, uh, um, uh, Matilda, all that, Um around 1995, my mother had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, I'm an intuitive life coach, uh, since I was 11 or 12, I've been able to see things, uh, sometimes predict the future. Um, I'm a good reader. This is why I was such a great casting director because I could look at a person's eight by 10 photo and I could tell you whether they were going to be a pain in the butt on the set. I could just do it. Right. I, I just, I had, I'm really good at that. And so, um, my mother, uh, I I woke up at three o'clock in the morning one time and I had a premonition that my mother had cancer. And so the next day, unbeknownst to her, I asked her when the last time she had a physical. It had been five years because she had just moved from Pennsylvania to California. She lived a couple miles away from me. And I was like, mom, you got to take care of yourself, right? So I made an appointment for her with the doctor and sure enough, we found the lung cancer. And I remember the neurologist saying to me, you know, had you not Said something, she probably would have been gone in six months. Instead, we battled for about two and a half years. In fact, she helped me pick the kids for Matilda because she was an elementary school uh, secretary. But unfortunately, I lost her in 1997. And I don't know, you You know, in life, we have those pivotal moments. And so I've been worked really hard up that moment in time, you know, I mean, I joke about it, but, you know, in Hollywood, we don't sweat, we glisten, but we're working 12, 13, 14, 18, 20 hours a day. I mean, it's why you're paying $15 for a movie ticket, uh, movie lovers to unite. So I took a year off. I just, I, I needed a break. So I took a break. Um, that year and a half, I decided I didn't want to cast anymore. Uh, I decided that I wanted to produce or direct, right? And it's the it's the Richie Cunningham, the, you know, uh syndrome. You know, he was on Happy Days. He was in, you know, um uh uh just lost it. Um the Andy Griffith show. And so he was a little boy actor, then he wrote and then he directed. He's a great director. So that's what happened. I decided I want to do that, didn't know what I was gonna do. But I produced a documentary called Journey to a Hate Free Millennium. I got the rights to tell the stories of Matthew Shepard, James Bird Jr. and the kids that were killed at Columbine High School. I produced it with a friend of mine, directed it. We submitted it for the Oscars. We got as close as you can get, but then got cut at the the, the last the, the last voting. Um, that, we went to 100 different film festivals. Um what the the moment that changed my life was the kid at, at Redlands University who wanted to rent the film and it's a very serious film um, though it has poignant moments but it looks at you know bullying the issue of hate society back in 1999 as we were transitioning into 2000 so um, he called me I re- we just saw this at the LA Film festival and we want to rent it and and I just said no and I was trying to get a deal with um, showtime at the time so but this kid begged me Right, and I was in Denver, look packing, trying to get back to LA, and he said, "Well, what if, what if we don't rent it?" Because I said it's a serious film. You just don't drink coke and eat popcorn for this. And I didn't know what I had. He said, "What if you come with it?" I said, "I'm sorry." He said, "What if you come with the film and we show the film and then you do Q and A afterwards?" I was like, "Oh," I said, "Well, what would you pay for that?" Right, and then he told me. I was like, "I'm there. I'm there." Well, that was 1999. And from 1999 to 2010, uh, I spoke to 1.6 million people in all 50 U S states and 17 foreign countries. I have one point, I have 1 million miles on United airlines alone. So that's where I found my speaker voice. That's where I found the life coaching voice. That's where I married the entertainment industry into education. And my goal was to transform hate into love and acceptance, uh, um, through this 10 year process. And then 2010 came and I was getting a lot of people that was asking my advice for things and I would email them and I thought, you know what, there's gotta be some kind of business in this so that I'm not just giving a band aid. So I've had some really great mentors. So I decided to open up my own life coaching business. and. Uh, I've been doing that ever since. Um, Still write and still uh, play in the entertainment industry as well. I'm actually thinking about going back into acting, so we'll see what happens with that. But the big thing is um, the focus I have now is the book. Um, You saw my Today Show episode, so that was a big deal. I I love telling stories. So I have this book called The Red Balloon, uh, Transforming Your Life, One Inspirational Story at a Time, and that's going to come out Mother's Day of 2022. Um, Hopefully we'll come back
0: you're definitely welcome to come back anytime you want and matter, okay. of fact, and matter of fact i'm actually going to point this out right now as soon as you're on the show you're part of the movie lovers unite family okay. Yay. so Yay. you always have an open invitation to come on even if you're not promoting something even if you just want to be on just, oh i would love to, to, talk whatever. to talk you're about that thing going.
1: you do and yes. matilda
0: yes and Matilda is actually one of my childhood movies as well yep. c- and stuff like that. Cause I went to the movie theaters, saw, saw that um, air force one saw the movie, saw that movie in theaters. Uh, I, basically you're pretty much impacted my life without <laughs> even knowing that you without even knowing it. Right. <laughs> but I, I just want to say this though, too, <clears throat> is this, and I knew it instantly whenever I was watching that whole thing with the today show was just how much of a down to earth person you are. And how much of an open book you are. Especially when the guy is over there singing about the news with your mother and stuff like that. And I saw how touching you were towards that. And I thought that was really awesome that the Today Show chose you as the winner. And they sung a song, a musical, to represent what you did. I think of what your mother, the connection that you and your mother have. I think that was awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just to kind of bring your listeners up to speed. Um, and again, it, we all have our own story and it's about sharing your look, you've got this amazing podcast movie lovers to unite, you know, it's, it's bringing together all those that are passionate about movies, which is just wonderful. So I'm grateful for the experience. Um, storytelling is, is really the foundation of who I am as a human being? I think it's in the sharing of our story that we can better understand. So, you know, uh, The Today Show was having a contest. I was waiting for an airplane. It was called Everybody Has a Story. They were looking for stories where people had overcome major challenges in their life. Mine was the death of my mom. And so I wrote 300 words or less. The worst English grammar you can possibly imagine. Sent it in. Uh, Horrible. It really was horrible because I had to reread it. And um, they picked eight winners. Uh, They got 100,000 stories. They picked eight winners, and I was winner number eight. Um, Out of that experience, you know, um, and if you go to YouTube, everybody, and just put in Brent Scarpa, the Today Show, you can see all 12 minutes. Um, But, you know, the story really is about how my mother and I proved that there was life after death because I had a very unique, phenomenal, wonderful mom. Now, out of that came what I've discovered, that when you have your own website that's got your telephone number and you've been on the Today Show, people call you. So I got calls for less than a month, three in the morning, two in the afternoon, six in the morning. It was crazy pants. I'm not, you know, I I really do appreciate the down to earth. I mean, I've worked with a lot of celebrities. I've, you know, I've done things that could be, interpreted as famous but that's that's not how I see myself I just kind of see myself as a human being um, and God knows I've worked with some actors that don't do that but for the most part I've worked with actors that really are just like me on a lot of levels you know they just might have more things kind of deal um, but uh, people kept calling uh, where's your book Where's your book where's your book and I was like I don't have one but thank you for calling I don't have one thank you for calling oh my God I gotta write a book. So that's what I've really been working on the last 10 years. It's probably the second hardest thing I've done in my life next to burying my mother. So, um, yeah, it's called the red balloon, transform, uh, transforming your life. One inspirational story at a time. Um, it's going to come out mother's day. It's really a marriage of, you know, storytelling and life coaching. And it's about the wisdom of my mom. How we proved that there was life after death. There's life coaching lessons in it. We're going to have, um, Uh, I'll share with you, you can put my uh, website up, but we're going to have a GoFundMe page show up in about a week or two because we're down to four covers after doing 40 of them of what the book's going to look like. And then we're going to do pre-order sales. And everybody who does a pre-order sale will get a gift and they'll get a private invitation to the uh, Zoom launch party during Mother's Day.
0: To be honest with you, I can actually relate to you. Because my mom actually had cancer back in '06, um, but she survived it and everything so else. But, but still, I remember the stress and the anxiety and trying to just. I'm going to school. I'm going to college for HVAC and stuff like that. So I'm so I'm tackling that. I'm going to work. I'm working full time, and I'm thinking to myself, "How am I going to juggle this and plus my school and plus right. work?" So I'm trying to find a balance. And everything in between, between everything. Luckily I had a good teacher that said, you know what? You, you're doing great in my classes. All you have to do is worry about your electives and focus on the rest and you're automatically graduating. I'm like, okay, awesome. So I got that covered and I'm just grinding away, praying, do everything I can for my mom and stuff like that too. Because that was like my biggest thing was trying to figure out a way to keep doing what I'm doing, not being able to focus on anything at home, because if I focus on that, it's going to eat me up inside at work. So I'm just glad that I got through it. You know, yeah,
1: it's it's a great. Uh, I, I would gently suggest to you that you know I was casting Matilda at the time when she got the cancer, oh, wow. and you know I was her primary caregiver, so I moved her in with me. And you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people, unfortunately, out there that have been through something like this, whether it's the death of a friend or the death of a loved one or a grandparent or whatever. So yeah, it 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 puts things into perspective. Um, You know, I'm not a big fan of balance. I'm a big one of the things I teach is how to create harmony in your life Mm. because balance is just not a word that I use. So creating that harmony where you can take all the pieces of the orchestra and allow them to play whatever particular song that you're trying to direct at that moment in time, right, that the song still is played. So each section, the woodwinds, the brass, you know, the flautists, the the percussion, they're all part of our lives. And so to your point, yeah, absolutely. You know, how do I get through everything and manage it um, and again, I'm so glad that your mom survived this, you know, because those that don't, and we, I took a year off to go through the grieving process, right? Um, right. And that's that's a whole another that's a whole another subject. But um, you know, I think just uh, going through that, right? Because you know, you can't go over it, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. You know, some people right, try. Right. But um, yeah, I went through it and, you know, like I said, sadly, you know, we did hospice and, you know, it's all in the book. It's, you know, it is just an, you know, I'm not one to toot my own horn per se, but I have friends now that I've been sending chapters to and they're like, you know, it's been 10 years that I've been working on this because I only write during the summer. Um, And then COVID happened because it was supposed to be out during COVID. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing the COVID thing. I'm 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 just going to hang loose. So it's just... It is, it is, I would say my book is the Andy Dufresne of the book world.
0: You know, I just want to say this too. I've watched some of your other videos where you're making huge impacts on other people's lives, people that are just, you know, wanting some help, some self-help to help them out throughout maybe a day through maybe certain, certain circumstances. And you have such great feedback from them. And that's just awesome. You never know who you're impacting or anything like that. Like for instance, like I told you before, even doing this, I get letters sometimes. Thank you uh, for doing what you're doing because I was having such a crummy day, but because of your movie review, I'm now having a better day. I'm laughing. Like I never laughed before. I get letters like that. Sometimes, sometimes I get letters of "Uh, how do I get into doing what you're doing? Stuff like that. And it's just humbling to know that we can actually impact some people's life because we don't know who we're impacting or anything like that. We're doing what we where what we think that is right for us and we're doing what we need to do to help others, but we don't know the amount of impact that we're having on someone else, which I think is fantastic.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100% especially given this particular generation of technology because we have more impact. We have more methods and pathways of being able to impact people. Like, you know, look, I saw you put my website up there. You know, if anybody, I do a um, a complimentary consultation uh, with um, anybody, um, you just have to, um, you can email me, which is brent at brentscarpo.com. Uh, you can go to my website and the email's on the bottom, but if you do brent at brentscarpo.com, um, you just let me know that you are on, uh, this particular podcast, uh, "Movie Lovers Unite," and um, yeah, I love. I do a complimentary, uh, intuitive reading. Uh, it's about forty-five minutes long. It shares, you know, all the good things, the challenging things, all that. Um, and if you're interested in having a life coach, I work with all kinds of people and all kinds of budgets. You know, my goal um, really is to uh take the passion of what it is that i do in my past experiences and to help you co-create the best version of your life um, so yeah if anybody's interested in that please definitely email me brent to com. uh go to my website you can click on a complimentary uh, session it'll it'll um it will transform you
0: and you know, I just want to say this, uh, and you helped me out just a few with just a few minutes. I know, we I'm had a bit of a life
1: coaching moment, didn't we? It right. happens. So, all of a sudden the little spider senses go off. We're like, hmm. uh,
0: You know what <laughs> I was gonna ask you, if I get a pay if I get a charge for that later on.
1: <laughs> no, this okay. is all no, no, no. This is my this okay. is we're we're in the week of Thanksgiving, so I have a I'm a big attitude well, of gratitude so here. So that's my way of being grateful you know, for allowing me to be here.
0: You're welcome, and thank you as well. Sure. And that's everything I wanted to cover as far as tonight. I wanted to go longer, but my voice and everything is not allowing me to because there's a lot of more. There's a lot more stuff I want to get into. But is there a title for your new book? Can you talk about? This
1: yeah, one? so the the book is called. So if you email me, uh, Brent at brenskarpo com, or you can do this, which I would ask you to text. Text me at seven six zero eight three five. Three three two seven. Again, 760-835-3327. Just text me that you're interested in being put on my private book list. Um, or if you want to have a complimentary intuitive reading, uh, just let me know uh, that you're interested. Put, you know, saw you on Movie Lovers Unite. I'm interested in a session or please put me on your book list. Then I, I've had, I've literally had this book list for 10 years. So um, again, it's called the Red Balloon, uh, Transforming Your Life, One Inspirational Story at a Time by Brent Scarpo. But again, if you just email me, because I've been collecting names for 10 years, um, you'll be on my private list. Uh, you'll be invited to the Zoom uh, launch. In uh, We're doing it for Mother's Day to honor all the moms and moms-to-be and their children. Uh, absolutely.
0: It's just an honor to be able to do this with you. This has been a real, and a real dream come true, to be honest with you. Talk, just to talk about you on some behind-the-scenes stuff, a movie that I love, talk about the life coaching experiences and stuff like that. Is And I also want to tell you this, too. You're Like I told you before, you're always welcome on the show. Thanks. I love to have you back. When my voice is rested, if we can actually... Yeah, uh, maybe
1: what we should do, maybe we should do a... Um, we, we, we should do what I feared because when I finished Shawshank, it was about a year later, the, uh, the producer called me and he's like, hey, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm not, I mean, you know, what I do. He said, are you free? I was like, please tell me we're not doing Shawshank part two. I beg you. We're not doing that. Like, please tell me we didn't go to the Island and capture you. Like that was my big, I was like, he was freaking out. I was like, no, this cannot have a sequel. This cannot have a sequel. This cannot be Superman 47. We can't do it. Right. He said, no, 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 no. I'm working on a movie called air force one, but to your, to our point, um, you know, maybe we should do a, a Shawshank part two.
0: I'm down for that. I'm totally yeah. down to doing a, um, part two of catching up with you and stuff like yeah. that also too um I just want to say once again I mean just doing what you're doing is just fantastic thank you and helping and inspiring that. people is just Absolutely. great and Absolutely. I just want to say one more thing hey Aaron <laughs> that's my uh, fiance's uh kid he's watching right now
1: and I think too
0: so I just want to say, give him a quick shout out. He's been, he's, it's almost like his past his bedtime, but he's, he's, how watching old is show, Aaron? How old is Aaron? He's, um, he's actually, uh, 10.
1: So 10. Well, Aaron, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so grateful that you're here. And what, what, a what a pleasure to have you, uh, be part of our, our, our experience today.
0: I'm glad that he's here as well. And I'm also glad Brandy, um, is watching with me as well. And thank you, Rossi. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, everyone that tuned in tonight. It means so much to me. Yeah, you absolutely. Guys These
1: are great questions, in. everybody. I love yeah, the Crichton.
0: Speaking of Crichton, he has a movie opening up for a premiere on in December. And I'm actually part of it because I actually was the editor and screen well, not the screenwriter, but he was the screenwriter. But I helped him with the editing part of the screenplay. And so he has a new horror movie coming out called The History That Haunts Us. So oh, I love that title, yes, it's very I interesting. Love that title, the history and, that haunts us. Ooh. I have one question for you now. With Stephen King, he's very picky on who does properties. What was his vocal point on the film after it was done? That was my curiosity.
1: You know, it's funny because he never came to the set. Uh, We never really heard from him that I was aware of. Like you know, we never. I never heard from casting or anything like that. He. It, it, it's almost like he didn't really have anything to do with it. I, it's funny. I, I should do this, but I haven't. I should Google um, Stephen King to see if he's ever talked about it, but he charged Frank a dollar, a doll. I mean, do you know how much money that's made? And I don't right. think he producing, I don't, I don't, I may be wrong, but you know, I know as a dollar and he signed it, you know, it's not like, you know, he needs money and everything. But, um, I know Frank and he probably had a lot of conversations and such, and we had a research person, but, you know, I know for sure that, like, I think we had, I mean, we're in Mansfield. So we were, you know, at that time there were only two hotels and they weren't that great. So I knew there was, we had like a couple rooms that we, we rented that nobody stayed in, you know, thinking that, um, he might come just so we have it, uh, but I, I, I might be wrong, but I do not remember getting any kind of notice that he was coming. That he came to the set, none of that.
0: Wow, that yeah. I'd like to know what his thoughts is. We're gonna have to do that on part two. Of yeah,
1: this. that's our part two. See, we have something for part two now. Yeah, right. if I can, if I can do a little uh, research into that. Um, yeah. yeah, I just because I thought he would. I mean, I'm a bit of a fan, but we usually would always get these notes. You know, whenever. Liz Glotzer was the executive producer That's another story for net part two. She had to make an emergency midnight run from Hollywood to Mansfield. Um, I'll say I'll, here, we'll leave the audience with this. We'll leave the, And you're not going to like me, but I, hopefully you'll love me. Um, there was a time where Tim Robbins walked off the set and quit I know you're not happy with me, John. I know you're not happy. No. Yes. Yeah. I'm t- he did. I we we thought we're done. We're fi- We're right. like people we rapped early. He walked off the set. This is not a well-known story. He walked off the set, livid. And all I know is everybody that night was on the phone trying to find a new job. Because we, oh, wow. we we were we were gonna we were done. Um
0: and the-
1: that would be part two.
0: You know what? This actually needs to be on the movies that made us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was. Because I would actually Ooh. watch that. Yeah. But you.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. You know what? I'm a storyteller. I have to leave, a, a, we have to leave a little bit of a, you know, you know, the, you know, it's like, you know, like endings of really good movies. Like I just saw, um, oh, what was the one? I, uh, the Marvel one. Shang-Chi? Um, was it called? Or <clears throat>
0: was it Shang-Chi or Eternals?
1: Eternals. I saw Eternals, so I wasn't. Uh, it was okay. But then I stay. I'm. I'm now. I, like. I stay afterwards. And a lot of people left. And there's a lot of credits that go by. And then there's this scene. Right? And I went, oh, okay, right? this is your
0: way of rolling the credits. This is exactly
1: what I've done. So this is a shared universe. I didn't
0: didn't
1: plan this, but all of a sudden, like, you know, this is 1993. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there was that. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, this film almost didn't get made.
0: (laughs) I just named this. Yeah uh shawshank redemption interview number two the drama that was
1: that's exactly right that's exactly no i'll I'll remember this i'll remember this everybody come back everybody um but it was oh yeah it was a bad it was a bad day yeah
0: Yeah. so with that being said uh Brent, where can everybody follow you at i know that you had the links i'll put that yeah so
1: there's brentscarpo.com there's brent at brentscarpo.com um, you know, you, you want to be Facebook friends. Uh, I, you can search me on Facebook. I live in Palm Springs, California. Um, I have a lovely service dog and a emotional support dog that works with me. So, on TikTok, which I love TikTok, it's at Brent and Sophia. Instagram is at Brent and Sophia. So B R E N T A N D S O P H I A. So that's our Instagram. Uh, that's our TikTok. I don't do Twitter. I don't know. It's just, mm, uh, but I am on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, again, if you just search Brent Scarpo, there's not that many of me. Uh, there's a, like if you just if you Google mine as you have done, <laughs> and uh, you'll find me. And then there's my my website. Uh, it has all my social media at the bottom, so you can click there as well.
0: All right, and of course, you guys can go ahead, follow me underneath Movie Lovers, TV Lovers Unite on Facebook. And of course, underneath the same brand name on Instagram and on Pinterest as well. If you want to get an audio-only podcast of this episode and many more of our episodes, you can get that where you got wherever you guys get your major uh, podcast at. But also, too, go to Good Pods. Good Pods is a great place. It's like social networking for podcasters. You guys can go ahead. You can tip us. You can not only can you tip us. But you can also rate us, give us a five-star review. That always helps. That helps us up and climbing. But also, too, you can also go to Apple Podcasts as well. That also helps us out with our rankings and everything, too, for other people to be part of the Movie Lovers Unite family and also for people to find us. And then, of course, you guys can go ahead. If you want to donate 5 to $10 to the page, how do you do that? I'm glad that you guys asked. All you have to do is go over to gofundme.com forward slash Movie Lovers podcast and as I can donate five to ten dollars to us the links will be, be uh will be below also too you can also follow me underneath movie lovers unit on twitter and then underneath movie lovers unit zero on tiktok as well I do some promotional stuff from time to time over there then of course you can always email me if you want to be on the show or anything like that at unite at gmail.com and of course I'm actually trying to get my website back up and running again I lost the domain I'm trying to get that back up and going again to do some more movie news. So I hope to have the domain up sometime soon. But that's going to be it for the show, guys. Tomorrow night. Don't forget. We normally have Dexter Mondays. But because of me him being sick, Charlie and I had to move it over to, to tomorrow night. So Dexter Wednesday, tomorrow night. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock Eastern. Don't miss out. Then Friday night, uh, we're actually doing our Hawkeye Fridays. That's what I'm calling it. Hawkeye Fridays. What is Hawkeye Fridays? It's the new Disney Plus show, Hawkeye. Season one, oh, episodes yeah. one and two review. I have a big panel coming onto the show. I got LaDaisia coming on. I have Nick Krafkus, Clinton Robinson. They're going to be back on here again. So don't, for, do, don't forget to do this, too. Don't forget to hit that like button. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Also, too. Don't forget to smash that little bell on the right-hand corner to allow you guys to know when we have something new coming out. And always, until next time, guys, it's been fun, it's been real, I can't wait to do this again, and bye-bye. Thank you again, Brent. I do appreciate you being on the show. Sure. And that's it.